Great. Thank you for being here. You are a live in-person guest. Jeez. No, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> There's none at all. I'm glad I've slept one full night in the last six months. <laughs> Thinking about this moment. Just yeah, that's it. Um, so just to give you like kind of the idea of format of the show, like the whole idea is that most of the things I've ever liked in my life have been about music, movies, people, and things. Um, we talked about Roger Bannister and some of the idea of the format of was unreasonable at one point. And so the goal is to talk to people that I think are unreasonable, have unreasonable mindsets, skills, and can help us or other people lead an unreasonable life. And so that's why you're here. Okay. <laughs> I, I accept. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I did want, two things. When you give your, I don't call it picture, what do you do? Where are you? And then the question. Who are what, what do I do? Yeah. What, where am I? Yep. Where are you located in the world? And then big one. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. Um, I'm going to plead the fifth on the third one. And, and <laughs> the, the first one, um, uh, I'm a writer and a trainer and a martial artist. Maybe not in that order. And I've done each of those things for a long time. Um, I've written the longest. Uh, done martial arts the second longest and training the third longest. And... In the past, I've ridden BMX professionally. I've ridden BMX poorly. I've done that since I was a young kid. Um, I've booked hardcore my whole life. I've been involved in that since I was a young kid. I think all of that kind of falls in the unreasonable category. Um, I think on any given day, uh, I'm the best trainer in the world. And uh, I'm also not a self-confident person. So for me to come anywhere near saying that means that I can prove it on anybody at any time. And uh, outside of that, what I do on a daily basis is I run classes in, in Rochester, New York. That's where I am. And tinker with people's movement, make sure that they're doing exactly the best that they can do every single day. And uh, that's it. I go home and go to sleep and do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the question I want to start asking everybody, before I ask you guys, just describe if you can. Well, let's, we'll do it like this. What's the intense moment, if there is one, that brought you in? Well, I mean, tra training people in itself is, is, a, is a high improbability uh, for me. There's, there's no chance that that made any sense. If, if the 18-year-old version of myself knew that I was going to be you know, watching people's hips for a living and, and teaching cops how to choke each other, uh, I probably would have kicked my own ass. Um, so that was that was highly improbable. I guess the inciting incident there would have been uh, beginning martial arts and then realizing that that, um, that was more than just a hobby as soon as I found it the first time. Yeah. And then the strength and conditioning side of things really just fell in line. I've, I've, I've said it often, but worth, worth repeating that, that I think that moving into strength and conditioning from martial arts has been the biggest benefit in moving into strength and conditioning at all. Yeah. Because I didn't have a I didn't have a little box around that I didn't have any preconceived notions about um, any of them. Yeah. I wanted to make people as good as they possibly could be. And I also understood from martial arts that there is no end to the nuance. And so once you can get people to, to buy into that, then there's no end to their progress in strength and conditioning. It's like the idea of, of, of one martial art being king of all martial arts yeah. and, and how fast that myth can be dispelled 
and then that's kind of how I address tools. It's how I address movement. It's how we address things like that. You know, of course, the barbell is always going to be the primary builder. Um, you know, the, 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 the king in the kingdom, so to speak. But we found that you know, kettlebells and maces are our queen, and I, and and without all three, you just got a pretty sparse kingdom. It's, yeah. it's not full, and. So I think I think that the, the inciting incident was was martial arts. The second inciting incident was leaving California. Uh, the gym that we had there was excellent. My instructors were tr- tremendous, best best people for me I could have possibly found. Uh, but I knew that an idea like Wolf Brigade wasn't going to work in Long Beach, California, uh, yeah. for many for many reasons. Yeah. And um, Rochester's a weird, mean city, and I, I definitely don't love it. But uh, it let me do that thing. Yeah. And it wouldn't have happened otherwise. So I think maybe in my in my modern life, in my adult life, those were the those were the two big tipping points. Man, all right. So um, sometimes the environment becomes the thing. That's what it sounds like. To yeah, yeah. I mean, Long Beach, of course. You know, I've been in California many times. There's there's cost issues there. There's um, digestibility issues there. Uh, things like that. What we had was was phenomenal small martial arts gym uh, with lineages to a bunch of different really diverse excellent martial arts uh, catch wrestling Thai boxing sabat Brazilian Jiu Jitsu oh, wow. Kali and no dabble you know my yeah. instructors were, were just tremendous at all of those things they had found the best people in the world at all of those things because they truly wanted to mix the martial arts yeah. and I just I, I will never stop saying how fortunate uh, I, I am to have found that place at the time that I found it it was perfect for me and we were in early days CrossFit um, so I got to learn an awful lot about what, what good training looked like from the few people within CrossFit that did things well and then a ton about what bad training looked yeah. like mm-hmm. from the rest and so so by even 2005 2006 we had a kick to the curb the idea of just this you know death, mm-hmm. death by attrition mm-hmm. you know yeah. do all this stuff all the time because our purpose is we want it to be brutal. We want it to be better at fighting. So so if, if you're doing 60,000 power cleans for time, followed by 250 burpees and a 25-mile run, there's no chance you're going to have anything left to do what you're actually supposed to be doing. And so that's when we started whittling down training to this like strategy over volume. And then I've just run with that ball for the last 16, 17 years. With a purpose. Yes, pur- purpose-driven, purpose-driven. Yeah, d- detail-oriented, purpose-driven. And, and and anyone that thinks that those aren't the best ways to build uh, has has never tried it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, when I found you, right, the thing that got me was, was the detail-oriented. And it was the fact that it was purpose, purpose-driven. Um, I mean, it's fascinating for me because kind of dabbling and playing around with all the different Things being exposed to some like one of my early exposures, love or hate, was Mark Twight. Wow, oh, yeah, like Mark was super good when I was a young dude. I have very distinct feelings about Mark <laughs> on both sides of that coin. I the same reasons. I, I can imagine, and but he was one of those guys. Who, like, like early internet, I wrote to, wrote me back, and was like, "Do this. This this is helpful." That's for sure. Yeah, he 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 found the same disillusionment with CrossFit that I found. He just found it earlier. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and so coming across you, it was very much like, and we've talked about it too. Like even my love, like I'm not as deep in the heart of war punk, but it's always been a love of mine, especially the kid who grew up in an area where you're not supposed to be like, just black kid, like, 
yeah, yeah, you know. Oh, I mean, and, and, and as absolutely absurd as it is, like, that's still even kind of a yeah, little yeah. bit of a thing. Oh, yeah, art still is, yeah. But meanwhile, in the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, there, there, it was like yeah. a novelty, yeah. you know? It was tremendous, but it might anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we, we can go down that road, too. But it, it was one of those things where, like, you know, seeing you had that, like, that feel to it, like, oh, this is authentic, this is real, this is, and again, like, purpose matters, I'm not in that space anymore where for me purpose is the main driver this year or last few years. But doing and being martial artist and jujitsu player for years, it's been like, oh, okay, this this matters as much. It's just like you were talking about before with get off the ground. Like, I was so amazed and it's such a simple concept that most people just and, and honestly it's 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 very similar to the maze in the sense that if you just try and you know, you you just go for it chances are pretty good that even if you're a good athlete you haven't thought out any details it's going to trip you up mm. you're going to get frustrated <laughs> and then if your attention span is short um, and you're already strong enough then you're going to you're going to push it to the side yeah. and and then you know it's, it's kind of the ones that really see that if something trips you up it's probably trying to help you and those are the ones that, that circle back you know and, and that's that's really what we found with pretty much everything we, we, we get visited by a lot of people who have been through the ringer with everything else. They've trained a million different ways. They've been really compromised positions in their life or their mm-hmm. health or something like that. Um, so it's, it's, it also became a really interesting game of if we, can, if we can rebuild or build these people with nothing or that are totally broken down or, yeah. or banged up or whatever, think how easy it is to put that 1% or 2% on the 99%. Mm-hmm. So, so, so eventually when I did start bringing a lot of what we do to higher level folks, it sharpens the edge to this like razor. Yeah. And it's easy because we've we've taken from the other equation of, you know, okay, we've got a we've got a fifty year old woman with very little athletic background that was formerly obese and a drug addict and had enormous amounts of self confidence issues and mobility issues and all this kind of stuff. And now she's been with us for eleven fucking years and can squat two hundred and sixty five pounds and swing a twelve kilogram mace any day of the week. Um you know, we've got I could tell those those stories all day long. You know, we've, we've got a 61-year-old dude that's got a 106-pound Turkish get-up on each side that had never lifted a kettlebell until he started training with us. Yeah. Um, and and that's just that's just detail stuff. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't we don't train these you know thoroughbred you know born with a six-pack CrossFit folks very often because they don't think they need us. Mm-hmm. But what they're looking at right now is like a tiny footprint of their giant life. You yeah. know. And I'm thinking, okay, if you want to do anything that resembles what you're doing now in 15 or 20 years, um, don't don't wait 15 years to find us. You know, just 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 swallow that and swallow that ego. And, and you know, it's interesting because like you'd think with high performers that finding that half percentage point, that one percentage point, is where you are looking. And I think it is, but then it's one of those things where it's like this is easy to write off. Mm-hmm. It's easy to overlook and I'm already here. You know, I've seen it. I saw it in my last profession. Right? Like, there are guys that go, oh, why do I need that? Yeah. And then if you can get it introduced and all of a sudden everybody's seeing crazy, but it's like that, that piece from like why to belief, it's such a vast delta. Yeah. But it's, for me, it's, it's, it's hard to understand because I said, computer, it's here. It's more than just porn and cameras. Yeah, well... It, it's also interesting when proof kind of becomes insurmountable and people will still cast aspersions 
or bored or satisfied. You know, it's a proof, but you know, it's not. It's not important for me, or something like that. And it's it's like well, and I, that's a that's a source of frustration for me because we we've done consulting with high level places. We, yeah. You know, I worked with the Performance Institute when Bo was there for several years, and and um, it's it's really really insane what people who say they want to be at the absolute top of the field won't do. Each. And, and uh, it, it's, it confuses me. It also frustrates me a lot because all it would take is a little bit of investment and the return is tremendous. Um, and a lot of times it's easy, it's easy to say, oh, you know, how, how are they so small if they have all this great information? That's an entirely different rabbit hole. Um, the, 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 often the people that are singing the right songs have the least amount of listeners. And that's the case until, you know, years after they've stopped contributing or whatever the case is. So we don't, we don't intend to be that, but, but that's definitely where we've fallen into. If, um, if I was a normal looking dude with a really digestible way of speaking and, and uh, some of this common pop culture disposable vernacular, yeah. um, we would have a million followers. You know, if, if I would put these, these tremendously talented, brutal fucking women that train at our gym in some, in some scanty clothing to lift, you know, 150-pound kettlebells, yeah. we'd have a million followers. Um, you know, but fuck that side of society and fuck that side of the world. That's that's not what we do, you know? Yeah. And as somebody who, who started to find all these things kind of simultaneously, it's almost, I think, a little bit of the inverse about what you're saying. I found when, when learning powerlifting and also at the same time starting to learn how to use a mace and play with mace, I found the progression of that to be so empowering that translated to everything else in terms of starting to get that under control and starting to feel like what it meant to control that movement. Well, I mean, detail begets detail, right? If, if, if you think that, if you think that honing in your technique or your efficiency at getting off the ground and moving a mace that's heavy enough to be useful and throwing a strike and controlling a body and drawing a weapon or using a knife or something like that are different, then you might you might not actually know anything about any of those things. Um, because when I see the people with the most proficiency, and we're very fortunate that a lot of them are near us all the time. Yeah. We, have, we have high level tacticians in our presence all the time. We have high level martial artists in our presence all the time. And I watch one edge sharpen the other to the point that, you know, it, it's, it's uh, our beginner level grapplers just don't feel like beginners. You know, to, from a technique standpoint, sure, of course, there's stuff that they're missing. Yeah. But they're so physically terrifying that it's like, well, okay, yeah, you're you're playing nice because the goal is learn. Yeah. But if I said, okay, yeah, go. Just, yeah, destroy, destroy, destroy me, me. <laughs> because you have to. I mean, and we've seen it. We, we brought them to a couple of competitions as beginners and things like that. And it was just, it was. You can definitely. I mean, I, I've been, you know, been, been played with your guys, but like, you can definitely feel. There's gyms I've been to, you know, traveling around and doing jiu-jitsu, grab a white belt. Mm. Yeah. And there's a, there's a ton there's a ton of be, uh, patting on the back to that. I mean, yeah. that means their trainers have been putting them in the right stuff. They're doing the right stuff. Yeah. You're not simply just lifting really heavy weights and eating a ton of food. You know, there's, <laughs> there's 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 so many components that go into being scary in those realms. Of course, you yeah. know that. Yeah. I mean, you you I think we have been around enough that like when you lock up with a guy, you know you know what the next three, four, or five whatever minutes look like. Yeah. And even from a skill perspective, even if you can trump the guy from a skill perspective, it's still like, this is not going to be fun. 
Well, and, and I'll highlight two people who I, who I love this feedback from is, is Bo Sandoval and Tyler Minton, you know, two, two accomplished martial artists, yeah. deep water strength and conditioning professionals. Um, Bo's been working with us and, and really diligently performing daily program for several years now and has consistently touted the fact that he feels stronger in grappling than he ever has and all this kind of stuff. And, and Tyler, he's been, he's been doing the program for a shorter time, you know, kind of practicing our details for a shorter time, but was a, was a, a consummate professional fighter yeah. that is now starting to say, okay, I'm really understanding what my strength can be and, and mobility and things like that. And it's like, man, it's tremendous. You know, I mean, we, you know, I take I take all positive feedback seriously from about from from people that understand deep water yeah. in both the training realms and the teaching realms and the competition realms. That's that's just really insightful, important stuff. What what's um, the thing from Wolf Brigade? I know you've taught some of the, the clients or guys that you guys have at your gym. But what's the one for you where you're like, I know what we're doing is right. Whether it's a story. Jeez. One one person, one era. You're your choice. So I mean, we, we've the the woman that I mentioned is is a is a is a is a big one. Um, that that's a relatively specific story, yeah. and I'm not I'm not going to dissect a ton of personal stuff past that. Yeah. But I mean, we we get these troubled people with no experience, and, and you start putting this this high level detail into them. And they start realizing how important it is, and it almost it almost starts letting you kind of re-engineer what they were as a physical person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, okay, you're looking at you're looking at this thing, and you're like, okay, I understand. You know, those are all the components of a person. But when you start plugging everything in together, you know, we, we think about it as tensile strength. We call it mm-hmm. insulation. And they start moving everything together. You know, the midline gets strong. The extension cords do what they're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, you can really kind of just put these people on anything, and it doesn't matter if they're 25 and have never been injured, or if they're 50 or 55 and, and have very little training. Yeah, they're not going to lift the same weights at the same speed, but the accuracy is going to be there. Yeah. So I think that the turn the turning points for us with that um, were were um, as much as we've gotten flat from it from very high level individuals that you would probably not believe if I said it. Um, Re-engineering kettlebell lifting was was the was the big deal there because there was nothing that was a suitable uh, companion or mm. accessory or whatever you want to call it to barbell lifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the barbell and then there's there's machines and there's dumbbells of course, but dumbbells are phenomenal but limited in yeah. some ways, and kettlebells are phenomenal but were also limited in some ways. The, the ground to shoulder uh, element of it was was too light to be useful. We mm. found that out. We reached structural capacities at the previous kettlebell lifting positions, like the internally rotated thing that we all came with. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we were like, "Well, our people can lift more than this. The limiting factor is this." Yeah, and it's like, "Well, you don't want to be here. Why would you arm lock yourself at the bottom of a, a lift, covering the internal rotation with the base stuff and everything anyway?" So then we started tinkering with this pistol grip. We started tinkering with these stacked hand grips. Um, I engineered the kettlebell back squat, so we had a, a posterior accessory for, for weightlifting and things like yeah. that. And that's when everything just started building like crazy. Um, 
And so as far as a moment or a person, the couple people that I mentioned are, are, are a few of the, of the highlights for me. There's been a million of them, though. Um, I taught a kid with Asperger's to kickbox. That was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but it's, as far as, like, big overarching stuff, um, the, the re-engineering of kettlebell stuff is, is what, you know, that, that, that's what made the three-headed dragon. You know, and the, the, the barbell can now be complemented and supplemented with heavy enough kettlebells to be useful. Mm-hmm. You know, if the barbell's off the table for something, um, the strategy of kettlebells is, is able to replace it for certain people. Yeah. Um, if, if we're doing a hinge day and it's a standard deadlift, we can kettlebell swing, good morning, and then base good morning to skin that entire pattern at really heavy, sensible weights yeah. and schemes. Um, I mean, we have, we have, I don't think there's anyone in the room that can't kettlebell swing their body weight for five or seven reps. Um, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we've got people that can do far crazier stuff than that. I mean, you know, there are some of the stronger girls in our gym can get their body weight of a kettlebell to the front rack and squat it there, put it in the back rack, squat it there, goblet squat. You know, we, we, we've tinkered with it enough and added enough detail and, and we, we build the midline well enough that, that, you know, that they can be a focus group for us with very little risk. Um, it's, it's like practicing martial art with a lot of detail versus just sparring. You know, we, we always say, you know, unless you're a real legendary asshole, no one spars on their first day of martial arts class. You know, it's the same with strength and conditioning. You're not going to throw someone in and say, oh, you know, when you, weigh, you weigh 160 pounds, you've never trained. Um, let's try this 160-pound kettlebell swing. Once you're watching someone do this and their deadlift is 350 or whatever the case is, then you can say a sensible percentage of X to build would be Y. A nonsensical percentage would be 53 pounds for men. You know what I mean? If if you've got a 350-pound deadlift or more or whatever, how many thousands of kettlebell swings, 44 or 55 pounds, are you going to have to do to actually make your ass stronger? So, so, so I think from from like a umbrella, it was it was the end it was the engineering of, of modern capital lifting and then and then like the, the, the base stuff. And I mean, I fell in love with that the second I saw it. But you know, there was very little detail attached to it. Yeah. And um, so to be systematic and to improve martial arts, it has to have martial detail. Mm-hmm. In my, my opinion, my experience. You know, you're not going to improve something that's martial with a with a, a casual process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the base, we just, we just kind of started putting all those boxes in order and, and checking them. It's been fantastic for me. I, I um, have not really made a full return to the match, but uh, it's been my plans. Uh, I can only speak from what it's done for me and your coaching has done for me. Every time I coach, yeah, I call you or text you for details. It's, again, it's the reason that I was initially calling to you. Right? Like I, before meeting in person, like, it was just like, oh, okay. You don't necessarily get the most coaching, right? You don't necessarily get a lot of thoughtfulness in how or why you're approaching. Even from the people who are coaching their quote unquote technical fitness or whatever the buzzword is, right? You're getting it for a purpose. You're, what you're typically getting is uh, big broad brushstrokes. Yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> my, my assessment of that is a tough one. There, there, there is an awful lot of fault and failure in those worlds and, and I think part of it is that they understand what they want to build but they haven't put eyes on enough bodies and tinkered with enough positioning to understand how to actually build it 
Um, I helped in the tactical group a couple months ago, and I'm not going to get into too much detail because I don't want to make it seem like I'm talking shit. But I was watching them after three days of work, and there was zero movement accuracy. And so the first thing that I did in the tiny amount of time that I had with them is we made sure that they were actually making the shapes. And not everyone makes the shapes the exact same way, but everyone makes the shapes the exact same yeah. way. You just have to get them there. So, so minus these kind of uh, micro adjustment movement strategies, you're not really going to get out of any athlete what you actually can. And that's the tough stuff because that's the non-glamorous stuff. Yeah. If, if I'm watching someone squat, and we just did this last week, a group came to us from, from Connecticut, a kid was having real trouble with his squat, he'd been having trouble for years. We tinkered with it for five minutes and it was all set. And, and it's really just a matter of watching someone and saying, okay, I'm watching what your body's doing. If you widen your feet an inch and turn about half an inch and brace yourself properly, you're going to find what you were looking for range-wise. Your torso is going to stay a little bit more neutral and you're going to have power at the bottom. That level of detail is present with every single physical movement. But if you haven't watched enough to assess it and adjust it, you're not going to get this end problem. That's been the biggest trouble for me to watch is, is, is people that need that fitness and, and that capacity and that detail the most are often the least detailed in, in pursuing and applying it. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't necessarily fault them for that. They've got a ton of other stuff to do, but it, it's in the same way that, that you know I've, I've been shooting for many, many years, but outside of helping people that I know privately become safe and proficient with basic firearms stuff, I'm going to teach a firearms class. Yeah. It's, it just would be, it would be reckless. No, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, but that's, that's how I think about strength and conditioning. Yeah. People don't, people don't think about strength and conditioning that way because they just think, well, you should just be able to lift. You should be able to do fitness, work out, right? Yeah. But there's an overall, like, lack of movement quality. We should talk about regular people. These days, like, it, I referenced it before, like, Joint Chiefs had a thing where they're saying basically in the next 25 years we won't be able to see the same military due to physical fitness. Right? And so if you think about that, what are we saying? Yeah, there's an obesity problem, there's a bunch of other problems. But when you see it live, it turns out to be like, yeah, I always like it when you're grappling. Like, so I say I have some guy inside control and I tell him his right foot this way and he does the other way. Or I say, may take your left hand and do this and he doesn't has no awareness of the body. And so, you know, listening to you talk, it's just kind of reinforcing, for me, it reinforces that. Sometimes the patients are just learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. People, you know, it, it's pe- people want people <laughs> want the crops without the rain, yeah, as, yeah. As, as the famous quote goes. Yeah. And, I mean, man, that could not be more true than with people that need to apply it in the deepest water. Yeah. And that's troublesome. We see it up by us. We work with a lot of law enforcement up there and fire and things like that and they're talking about like either lowering or removing the baseline physical standards from yeah. the entry process things like that and it's like you know what <laughs> while I understand that eventually if the bar continues to lower you have to address it do, do you address it by removing it altogether um, I mean the answer of course should be, should be no to that um, but a lot of times it's time and resources and things like that but, but most of the time I think it's just patience and interest yeah. Um, they think if, if they can have someone gut out a 10-mile run, that they're fit enough to go try and arrest me if I actually go crazy. <laughs> and I, I, I don't think I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you do that then? How do you lower the barrier of entry for folks? 
how we don't. And what you do is you bring them to your bar yeah. by addressing details in a way that are scalable for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had people come in with nothing to offer and end up with considerable physical skill sets. And it's just a matter of also understanding what quality product-driven scaling is. Mm-hmm. Uh, scaling is going to look different for everyone. But a lot of times, scaling is looked at as, well, a lot of times because CrossFit made it so, uh, scaling is looked at as a demotion. Yeah. 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 And um, that was one of the first things that I that I really started side-eyeing, um, is these motherfuckers that couldn't do anything outside of exactly what they were doing are looking down on people because they can't lift this particular yeah. weight on the bar. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, I'm a kid that came from, from you know, BMX and yeah. hardcore and things like that, and I... I I was fortunate enough that, that the people that I looked up to were, were, were touchable, they were findable. You know, I, I would go to BMX demos to watch these people that I had this like total idolatry at the time of, and, and they would walk over and give me stickers and talk to me and pat me on the back. You know, I, 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 this is a story I've shared before. But one of the, I mean, I think the first show that, that we ever played was with Sick of It All, and that band was amazing to us. You know, throughout, yeah. throughout our entire time, booking bands, playing with bands, traveling. They, they were like just these relatable folks. So so the idea of, of someone being better than me or someone being better than these others in the group because they could lift a little more weight on a bar, like what kind of fucking clown are you? You know, Man. you're like the king of the clowns, if, if that's really what you believe. So so when, when we started retinkering with training, it really became this issue of, of we are going to be the antithesis of that and I'm going to get anyone to do anything they need to in a way that gets them to do this other version. Yeah, and so you just you just reel it all the way back down in, and we have we have scaling that I mean I believe is extremely sharp and nearly infinite. Yeah, um, I think man, I mean you said a mouthful. First of all, like, I just had to unlock when you were talking. <laughs> like, no, like seriously, um, there's something to that aspect of like being able to reach out and touch people who mm-hmm. you look up to or you uh, they have a skill set or something that you're. Not It seems intangible, but right. when you realize it's tangible. Because I, I think we all have stories, and now that you said that, like, right? Like you said, oh, I, mean, I could talk to these people, and they're cool to me, and everything else. And I've heard you know, your version of that, and I know what my version is, and it's like, oh, this is the thing that led me to the next step. Instead of being like, you know, like my very first powerlifting, I remember being like, if these guys are dicks, I'm done. But it was the opposite. So I continue, and it's very much. I think it's you know something that that's, that's a pretty a big statement. Like I said, and you, I don't think any of us realize it. Like, how often is that small interaction, the interaction or the ripple that leads to the next step? It's, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can it can be everything. And and what it does is it also removes that um, kind of hero worship barrier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so if you if you if you stay a, a hardworking and humble person. You can be in any level environment and feel totally comfortable and normal there, because you're you're no longer looking up at this person. You're looking across at this person, and and I mean I, I think that's that's served me well my entire life, but until it hasn't, uh, some 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 people want to be looked up to in those ways, oh, yeah, yeah. and um, and when you don't, then they realize that the perception of you and the reality of you are different, yeah, um, and then they push you off to the side. Um, we talked about a few people in this conversation that have done that to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> I, I, the magic trick, then, too, right? Yeah, it's so. 
the thing we, we've been chatting about a lot about is um, like usually use it in reference to competition. Like the only difference between competition is the fact that it's magic, right? Once you see behind the magic trick, there's no longer magic. And so I think that's kind of like what we're seeing. And um, to kind of further ask and say something, for me, that's what martial arts was. Absolutely. Right? And it feels like a magic trick that you can control a little yes. tiny bit after a while. Yeah. And then you're like, what is happening here? I mean, I still, my fascination with martial arts will never end, but it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, same. I remember being a kid. I remember, so I started off with like, Hapkido. And so I Hapkido. Joe Sung. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, 10, 12 years of that. And, but I remember looking at these guys, these brown belts, these black belts, and being like, oh, that's attainable. Whereas, like, in my other kind of like, like basketball and other sports, field, you know, and then there's not really a person being like, you know, yeah, like, I can show up at the end of the game and maybe get an autograph, but I can't listen to this guy tell another guy, like, hey, man, you do your kid, turn your foot this way. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, there's like that small bit of magic that ends up not being magic. And you're like, oh, I see it. So, uh, it, just, it just kind of blew my mind. Well, and that's, that's kind of the same experience you're describing when you're making those small tweaks for people turning That's exactly right. I mean, we, yeah. we, we talk about it as the moment of clarity, right? And and it's it, it's the moment of clarity with with both how you're moving, um, when you actually move and implement correctly, and it all of a sudden cooperates for you. And you felt the moment of clarity with the mace when yeah. you were just tinkering. You know, it went from looking like it might offset you to you making a couple of those excellent adjustments, and then all of a sudden it's like you could have swung the thing twenty thousand times. Yeah. I mean, the moment of clarity is whatever it is, but it's it's sometimes the perception of what you're doing. It's sometimes the practice of what you're doing, and then sometimes it's the actual tool that you're doing it with. Mm-hmm. And then once those things start to all work together, then it's like, man, you just watch these. And I always refer to the people in our room, but you watch them train them. There's days that I'm standing there watching a group that I've articulated the board, we've covered the details, and they already know the process. And I'm just watching it, and I'm like, this is just not happening elsewhere. Yeah. Because I've been elsewhere. I've been everywhere. You know, and, and uh, that's when that's kind of when that's kind of when you know, yeah, you pull the curtain back in that way, and they can see it too. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, man, that's the most fun when, when when you can see it land on someone, or like a micro adjustment gets someone to perform something that they were this close, yeah. that they were that they were really hoping for and hunting for. I mean, that that's the coolest that light bulb moment. You know? I like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. And the same with martial arts. I mean, the man, the light bulb moments for the first however many years of training, it's like they're dating. Mm. But then you get so used to them and, and, and almost like addicted to them in a way. Yeah. Then if, if what you want is, is is progress, you keep hunting them for having They get harder to find, but they, they are no less enjoyable. Yeah, it, I mean, that's exactly what I mean. I remember like starting jujitsu, I couldn't hold anybody inside. And I don't remember the guys, it was from American Top Team, it was when I was, I was traveling. And he was like, hey, do this. And he told me how to kind of like manipulate my body somebody's chest yeah and I was like that's it it was uh, and I got it and I was like oh man this is so and then like you said you just keep hunting more and more like, this is a, it, it's it, you know, I'm, I'm saying this thing all the time but I'm always the search of and that's typically what it is it's either those moments of like uh, or it's the moment of like where it's like uh, everything else falls away which is also something I found in the martial arts or even training it, 
things get heavy enough, the consequences of getting emotional. You're not. Yeah, the, the focus has to laser in or, or something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, instant accountability mm. is what we call that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No choice. <laughs> or self correcting, depending on how well it goes. Self correcting. That's usually how I like to ask the self Yeah. Um, so, how long, well, let me ask this, how long have you guys been going to the hospital? Uh, two, 2008. I moved back to I moved back to Rochester, New York, in May of 2008. We began running classes in the park at a at a public school playground at 6 p.m. every night uh, on May 17th, 2008. And so for the first little while, uh, we ran a class every night at six. And, um, I had the tools that I drove back in my in my car from California. Yes, it was a couple of maces, a couple of ropes, a few light to medium kettlebells. And um, I knew enough people in the area that people showed up and, and it kind of developed into what it was. And, and um, as strange as it was, even though we had a couple of cops there, we had a couple of criminals there, we had a couple of normal people there, um, we got kicked off of this kid's playground um, and told not to return by the school board and yeah. someone was dressed up as a cop. And um, so then we moved, we moved to a different playground across the way and a few months later same result mm-hmm. and it was it was you know we had these these high level folks and, and also these kind of terrifying folks and, and it's like what you would want on a playground at right. 6 p.m. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, those, <laughs> this is not the opposite anyone yeah. in the proximity was safer than they've ever right. been right. at that moment and and so we got bounced from these two places and, and, and um, you know uh, it was getting towards fall and we got a teeny tiny room um in, in a building in Rochester called the Hungerford that I'd been in in some iterations since you know a long time before that since yeah. before I moved to California um, that's where we had coalition at the time which was our bike company and our printing company um, and then Hell on Earth which was that which is that brand that we have and then across from that was this little teeny tiny room um, and we rented that for the first four we gave us it was, it was um, 550 square feet and we had we had people in there training the bases and kettlebells and stuff so the beginning was um, uh, important, but certainly not glamorous. I mean, so talking about a show that's called Complete Generation, it's more than, like for me, that's perfect. Right? A lot of people think, well, everyone sees the outcome, or they want to see their outcome, which is I want this gen or this thing that looks like this. And that first step of being in a, a, a playground doesn't occur. Well, and the, the other interesting thing for me to, to figure out was the fact that, you know, I was going from Long Beach to this well-appointed gym with yeah. beautiful weather and, and garage doors on both sides of the room and, and you know, proper mats and actual weightlifting tools, yeah. things like that. So it, was, it, was, it would have been really easy to look at that as significant emotion. Um, and I've, I've thought about it a lot, but, but honestly, you know, it's... You can't you can't devote purpose, and, yeah. and really that's what that's what it was. Is that the purpose did not change from the fact that we had this nice room in, in California to 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 the park where, where this little teeny tiny where the, you couldn't adjust the heat. Yeah, in New York it was the same. The purpose was the same. When I when I hear that, I, we're having this conversation with a buddy of ours named Brian, and he had that and a lot of people talk. About Discipline over motivation, right? And 
I sound smart as well. And what I hear is that your motivation isn't this fleeting flash in the pan. What people typically describe to motivation where it's like, I listen to this music and I'm pumped up. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. And to me, when I hear motivation, it's more akin to purpose. It is purpose. Yeah, yeah it's both. I mean, yeah. discipline and motivation hold hands. They have to. And, and they don't let go until one is, is going to the wayside. Yeah. You know, I, I've never really looked at them as separate. Yeah. I, I think that's just kind of one of those internet discussions people get into because yeah. they don't have nothing else to say. <laughs> I think it's one of those things I, I, I find a lot of issue with because when you find people at their lowest who are trying to Make what make their way up one rung. They, it seems like it's uh, not. Mm-hmm. What falls in that category of ours is report to, right? It's just something where it's like you're, you're being a dick. It's like let's. What, what, yeah. And I mean, there's there's. It also kind of gives the impression that everyone is the same. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, discipline for some, it, it's almost just a natural state of being. Some people are just automaton in a way that they can get up at whatever time, do whatever thing, yeah. or whatever. I mean, the fact is that people are wired differently. There have been periods of time in my life, when, you know, it's been most of my entire life, but I've been relatively disciplined. But there's been times where that has been a, a, a tumultuous thing where it would have been easy to quit. And then the motivation of you know, whatever you're really driving towards and why. Yeah has to kind of push it along. Um, so thinking about one succeeding without the other for me doesn't that doesn't doesn't equate. You know, I mean I can I can wake up at whatever time and eat whatever I need to to know that it's gonna get me what I need from a results standpoint in training that day or in helping people that day or something. But you know if I take out that 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 you know that motivational piece of, of you know revenge on society is this overarching umbrella, it's not gonna go the way it would go you know, I just wanted to hit it because it, it, to me that's all I heard like you're saying like, we went from this setup which was what people would want a playground and if you don't like Rochester it's cold yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the weather sucks the people are mean yeah. I mean man, it's yeah it's nice for a few days a year and yeah. there's some nice people there I suppose yeah, so, to go through that to me that's what I hear Purpose is greater. It's greater. Yeah, not, not to not to try and romanticize it or, or mystify it or something, but sure. I mean, yeah. most years, you know, I've 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 been down. Uh, I had a lot of really crazy shit happen to me when I was a kid, and and although most of it I would rather erase because I would prefer not to have the baggage from it. Um, it, it makes it really hard to quit things that feel important to others, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I have a lot of fucking debt to pay, mm-hmm. and. Um, and even that, you know, it's it's that that's not that's not more that's not much much discipline. You know, that's not going to get me up at whatever time. Mm-hmm. It's a motive. It's a motivational issue. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, but it's yeah. it's not a it, it's not a it's not a petering candle. You know, I mean, it's, it's stayed lit for however long. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I'm listening. So, yeah. Anyway. All right, man. All right. You should be chatting. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how I've always looked at it. That's how I've always lot of it so hear you talk about it and then to kind of get the more I've heard a little bit about the backstory. I didn't know I didn't realize that like where it was coming from. I knew you got to Rochester I didn't know So for me that's 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 I think it's 
it, at this point, it feels like it's been a, a long time and a short time. Uh, I, I don't feel like we're anywhere near where we can get, but but some days I look at it and I'm like, holy cow, that's that's a considerable life for a tiny, quirky business that has been stopped at every turn. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, honestly, the reasons we've we've been stopped have never had to do with uh, the quality of what we offer or or, or how we present it or, or who we are as people. Um, so then it becomes kind of easy to say, okay, you know, yeah, these, these, these barriers keep setting up, but we're going we're gonna to push through them because it, it's, it's not like we're being stopped because we suck. Yeah. Or it's not like we're being stopped because what we're presenting is garbage or it's not helping people or something like that. We're being, we're being I don't know, targeted or stopped or, or slowed down uh, for external reasons based on people that find what we do uh, intimidating or undigestible or, or something like that. And then, what do you do when that happens? Will you, will you push harder? Yeah, you know, if you're if you're rattling the cages and they're making noise, that means you're almost out. Yeah, you know. So, the other thing, when you talk about like getting kicked out and moving to a different place, like how does and if it doesn't, it's fine. But like, how does hardcore translate into that? Because for me, that's what it is. That's, a, that's such a perfect question, man. I mean, you know, there was a skate video many years ago called "Kicked Out of Everywhere." Yeah. Kick that everywhere, you know. I mean, I, 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 by the time I was 16, I'd run from every cop in the city on a BMX bike, you know. Yeah. It's, it's it, in my entire life, I've done things and, and they've never been evil minded or anything mm-hmm. like this, but but my entire life, I've done things that I wasn't supposed to be doing in places I wasn't supposed to do them, yeah. And and so, the reality is, you know, that was a little bit of a bitter pill because we like that playground, but what are we gonna do? Go, you know, go cry about, it? yeah, you know booking hardcore shows I mean there were times where we would lie through our teeth to, to book an annunciation hall to put a show in where we had Hells Angels as security guards and there is no chance in the world that that should have gone well yeah but it did and when they found out towards the end of the night it was too late yeah you know do we get do we get invited back no but mission accomplished you know we made what we needed to make you know it's for me, it, it's perfect because that's what I think. I, I, when I think about hardcore, when I think about like getting kicked out. I think of like setting up out front. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And it's I mean, it's the same with BMX. We we were never you know destroying private property and smashing people's stuff. And then that was we're riding BMX bikes, we're jumping on stuff, we're jumping over stuff. Yeah. And at that time, especially early on, nineties and things like that, um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't digestible. It wasn't on TV. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't this kind of phenom- pop culture phenomenon that it is now. So every cop that had nothing to do would target being an and skateboard. And you know, the reality is we just were young and didn't want to get in trouble and yeah. knew the city real well. And, and that'll be it. You know, that's it. So, so, so it was a perfect question. The, the getting kicked out of the of the playgrounds had I not had a lot of those experiences. I mean, shows getting shut down, and you know, that that was all very real at the time. Um, the, the, it's not. It's not. I don't. I don't know that the homogenization of all of it isn't fun to watch now. Yeah. But now it's more like TV for me. It, it's not like it doesn't feel as like real. No one is going to come in and turn your show off. Now, you know. There's no. Uh, there's no consequence. Less, yeah, less so. Yeah. And I mean, there are places like some of my friends in LA, man, I've been watching some of the stuff they're doing in like in the LA River Basin and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's incredible. 
it's terrifying. Yeah. And I watch it, and I'm like, that is it. You know, like they, they understand it. There's hundreds and hundreds of people and bands playing, and there's like you see like a police chopper overhead, and people are shooting off fireworks <laughs> and stuff like this. And it's like they really, really get it. There, there has to be an outlaw aspect to this stuff. And even in strength and condition now, I mean, uh, some of the group that came to visit us a couple of weeks ago, they were very, very cool. They, I believe they learned a lot. Um, they got to watch one of the group classes and they're trainers, so they got to see how that group operates. It's unlike anything I've seen. Um, and one of the questions that, that one of the girls asked was, was you know, does, does the environment in there intimidate people or turn them away or shake them up? And, and, and I said, well, sure, you know, at first, and, but, but that's the purpose. Yeah. And then after a while, it doesn't shake them up and nothing shakes them up. And you're just you're developing this kind of adaptability in this, in this you know, it's like um, you're just conditioning yourself yeah. for a different type of thing. It's conditioning not. yourself for weightlifting, but you're conditioning yourself for minor league chaos, wherever it may be presents. It's inoculation. It's an stress inoculation. Yeah. It's the same thing as when they play like, you know, terrible death metal in, in shoe houses and stuff. I mean, it's, 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 I get it, you know? Yeah, it's been a significant amount of time in a small village listening to me cry, so. I, I, I'm not laughing because that's funny. <laughs> so, um, man, so, so the other thing, we're not leaving, but to kind of ride that tail um, how important back in the day and now it's hardcore to you. Man, I mean, it, 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 it and BMX were, were and are just foundational. Like, yeah. I, I mean, um, sometimes, sometimes it's tough to watch some elements of hardcore because it's so easy to see that it's, it's pretendinitis. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking at a band, um, that trying to be that band and, and I get it but that band was that band mm-hmm. and especially having been fortunate enough to be there for a lot of that it's unfair yeah. you know like when, when you see it and feel it in those ways you, you, it would be impossible to replicate yeah you, you can't um, you can't you can't pretend um, from, a, from a philosophical standpoint both of those things gave me everything you know I mean per- perspective on um, being a purposeful reject uh was instilled from a very very young age, and in, unless you have a real unless you have a real sense for that, you're going to get discouraged every time someone puts you down, and it never feels it never feels good. I've had my I've literally had my idols and people that I look up to most in the world put me down in every field I've been. I'm not being a crybaby about it, but it's unusual. Yeah. Um, I mean, I. People that I looked up to in BMX since I was a young boy. That once I worked in the industry and made a lot of headway in the industry, dedicated pages of catalogs to making fake inter- interviews with me to making me look like fun. Um, other people I looked up to in BMX were instrumental in, in trying to get me fired from the big bike company I ran in California. Yeah. Um, strength and conditioning was the same thing. Greg Glassman put my fucking print shop out of business in 2009. Because we had a handshake partnership that he reneged on. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of other stuff in those realms too. Um, it's not usually worth talking about, but it's worth at least noting. Yeah. Um, the, the growing up in hardcore and, and BMX uh, are the only reasons that I've never folded up and ran away when those things went down. Because um, we need to yeah. You're kill me. Um, I don't think so. And, and honestly, short of that, I don't really know what it would take, you know. Um, 
I've had a lot of really, I've had a lot of really great experiences within BMX and hardcore. I've had, I've had rough ones, and they all kind of insulate you for whatever comes next. Um, following, following those paths teach you an awful lot when they're forming. You know, BMX was still formative in the late '80s and, and early '90s when I found it. It was like, I guess, if you want to look at like people say first wave and second wave of stuff. Yeah. Maybe second wave of BMX, maybe second wave of hardcore. Like the first stuff, I was just at the tail end of, mm-hmm. and I got to catch some of it, but not a ton. But then, like that second wave was like when we got to see it all. Yeah. People had started figuring it out. It really started evolving fast, um, and I was just fortunate enough to be around it. And, and, really just I hunted we hunted yeah. you know, when, when we started going to when we start going to contests and, and shows and stuff like that we just we just we'd go wherever yeah. you know we would find a flyer and we would drive there it's know? funny because like I think that's a, a not to or to sound old like, I think that's one of the things that I do kind of miss about music and just certain things is like that hunt it's, it's it's now it's like oh I can just type it in and it's there yeah right? and it's like uh, like I talked to you about it last time like my I used to carry around this uh, sleeve of CDs yeah you know yeah. and it had this music on it that I can't search on the internet for it. yeah and some guy stole it and I literally put up flyers in Sierra Vista Arizona and I was like hey man I just want my CDs back keep this head you like I. I just want my, it can't get those back. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, that, I don't know. The two just tied in for me. So. It, it, it's, a, it's an immediate tie-in. There, there, was, there, was there, was, there was an element of earning it that made, that made <laughs> yeah, everything exactly. landed feel yeah. great. Yeah. Even if you got there and it sucked, and that was often the case. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm not trying to romanticize it like every show or anything BMX-wise we did was, was awesome. A lot of times, the shit felt flat on its face. But if you had hunted it down, there'd been an adventure, an experience on the way, you know, and it's, it's, I'm not saying that that's not here now, but that's part of the reason I drive around so much, yeah. instead of, you know, flying or whatever other, is I, I, I like that, I like that, that little hunt, and it's diff, it's different, I'm not going to say I don't enjoy putting an address on my phone and not having to worry about my terrible sense of direction, yeah. um, but like when, you know, we communicate with people from other states, you'd write them a letter, you'd send them a sticker, you'd send them a flyer, we had this, we had this thing called a phone dialer that mimic the coin sound in a payphone. Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember those? Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, we'd be booking a tour, and, and instead of spending, you know, hundreds of dollars on the, the payphone calls, you'd just sit and put the fake coins in the thing. And, and the biggest, you know, comedy at the time was eventually the operator would get out and be like, uh, we're going to need just you to stay on premises. And it was like, well, I mean, clearly, yeah. we're not going to do that. I'll be, I'll be yeah. there. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh man! Um, to be respectful of time, we're very of course, of course. But I, I wanted to uh, kind of wrap this up with a because uh, I think we talk about being reasonable and trying to be whatever life is for you. Um, the things that are important are often things that are on the fringes. We kind of talked about like hardcore, talked about training conditioning, and martial arts. Um, what's even if it's just for today, I don't know, we can have to talk about what we That's funny you mentioned that. If, 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 um, if the world is, is ever short-sighted enough to give me adult money, um, 
uh, that thought crime notion is going to be on a ton of billboards. And, and, and what it's going to be on is it's, it'll, it'll say something like that and just basically commit thought crime, but then underneath it will be some purposeful sentence about something, you know, whether it be like a, a singular you know, sentence about a relevant cultural topic or something like that. But what we found with marketing is that Stark at least gets people's attention, and if they like it or hate it, there's nothing I can do. But you're at least gonna you're at least gonna read it. You know, we started making that sticker and that was our first sticker. We started making that sticker in two thousand eight. Um, you know, little did I know that it would be about the prophecy of the you know, but but uh, yeah. in two thousand eight, uh, we we already saw on the on the on the billboard already in a way, um, that people were not thinking enough about enough. They were just kind of running through it and checking the boxes and, and um so, man, I guess if, 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 if we had to put something up um, with our stamp on it, it would, it would, be, it would be that. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Commit talk, Ron. Yeah. Great, thank you. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I'm really pleased. I hope this was great for you. Well, that's it. All right.